Good morning, church. As we're singing, I, I, this morning I just really felt like I was reminded of um, something I recently saw. Some of you have maybe watched The Chosen. It's, um, it's a series that's been going on for two years now. There's a second season about the life of Jesus and his disciples. Season one, there was an episode where Jesus went and met this woman at the well outside of Samaria. And uh, this little Samaritan village. And there was a scene that she finally gets it when he says, I am he. And she gets it. He's the Messiah. And she just changes. And she believes. And she runs off to the village. As she's running off to the village, the disciples are coming in. They see her. And they're like, what's going on? And they realize, Jesus, it's time, isn't it? You're going to start telling the world that you are the Messiah. He's like, it's time. And Peter just gets excited, comes over. He's like like a jump hug into Jesus. Like, yes! And I've never pictured like that. And I understand it's, it's Hollywood and, well, not necessarily Hollywood, but anytime somebody takes the Bible and makes a movie or a story out of it, you know that they take liberties in interpreting how they picture it. We don't know how it really was, but I liked that moment. The joy in Peter's face was like, we get to tell everybody about you, right, Jesus? Yes. Then let's do it. He's so excited, right? And I don't understand sometimes why we as Christians, I'm the same way. I have those days. Well, it's like, where's that excitement in us? We get to tell people about Jesus. What an exciting thing. We got to worship him this morning in song. What an exciting thing. Your singing wasn't for the sake of the worship team. It wasn't for the sake of each other. Your singing was for God. And there should be a victory cry, a victory chant. That was our singing this morning. Uh, What a good thing. That was, okay, that was my little, that was off track. But anyway, um, I just, that's what was going through my mind as we're singing. The rejoicing that should be. Amen. Grab your Bibles. Uh, you're going to be, we're going to be going through a lot of scripture this morning. I'm not going to put a lot on the screen, so it's up to you to follow along in your Bibles or your devices, whatever you have. Um, but as you're grabbing your Bibles and you're going to open up to Judges chapter 2, we're going to continue our adventures in the Bible series. Um, and as we do this, I want you to think about this. What is um, one of the, the messiest things that you've ever had to do and you really don't ever want to do that again. Just think of like a, uh, a job that's like, no, that's just too messy. Don't want to do it. Whether it's unplugging a toilet or cleaning up your kid's vomit or, and I told you it's messy, um, or maybe the dog made a mess in the living room. Um, you picture, okay, what is that messy thing, that messy job that you're like, I don't want to have anything to do with it. You got that picture? Okay, yeah, no fun, right? Maybe it's not messy. Maybe it's complicated. Maybe you have a complicated situation, a job in your life. It's like, it's just too complicated. Maybe you're a person that doesn't like to assemble things. So right now there's still that thing that needs to be assembled over here in a big pile. Uh, Maybe it's complicated in a different way. Maybe it's a relationship issue and it's sort of complicated. I don't want to deal with it. Maybe maybe as a student, you got like a 10-page paper, an essay due, and it's like, it's sort of complicated. I really don't want to work at it. Okay, so we, we got those situations, messy, complicated. Got that? Good. Because as I read through the first 11 chapters of the book of Judges, I felt like I was reading something very messy and very complicated. And now I know why there's not a lot of books written and not a lot of sermons preached on Judges, the book of Judges, because it is messy and it is complicated. And I'm going to do my best just to share some of that with you because in in Judges chapter 2, that's where we're picking up our Adventures in the Bible series. And for those of you that maybe don't know what this series has been about. We took a break from it, and we come back. 
We started with Adam and Noah, and then we got to Abraham and the promises for Abraham, that God chose Abraham, and he's going to have descendants that would outnumber the stars in the sky, right? So we work through Abraham's life and Isaac and Jacob, and Jacob has a family, and they move into Egypt with Joseph. So 70 plus, 100 plus go to Egypt, but then like 400 years later, there's 2 million in this family. That's a big family, right? They become a nation, but they're all enslaved in Egypt. And you start to wonder, because now they're slaves, and they were supposed to be free, God's people, and it's like, did God abandon them? Did God forget about them? Well, no, he did not. Simply as that, right? He sent a rescuer named Moses. Moses delivered them out of Egypt. And they go into a promised land, but that's with Joshua. Joshua then has the 12 tribes of Israel. They divvy out certain uh, increments of land. They become these all these landowners with their, their different tribes. And Joshua dies, and that's where we're at in this certain point in time. Judges chapter 2. We discover here that God's people failed to drive out the enemies in those territories. Those 12 tribes was each given an increment of land. In that portion of land that they received, they were to drive out the people that were in there. Because they were evil, they worshipped these false gods. And God's command was to drive them out. But you're going to read in about 12 different places, and I just put about five or four of them up on the screen for you, where basically you're going to read in Judges 2, the tribe of Ephraim failed to drive them out. The tribe of Zebulun failed to drive them out. The tribe of Sophorth failed to drive them out. Each of these tribes failed to drive out the people in the land. So what's going to happen? See, here's the thing. If you let evil linger in you long enough, you don't drive it out, it's going to affect you. And here's what God says. Let's read in chapter 2, verse 3. So now I declare that I will no longer drive out the people living in your land. They will be thorns in your sides and their gods will be a constant temptation to you. It's almost like God is playing the role of the father here with his kids. Listen, if you're not going to clean up your mess, you're going to have to live in your mess, right? And that's sort of what God's doing here. You're going to fail to drive them out? I'm done driving them out. You were supposed to drive them out. So here's what's going to happen. There are going to be a constant thorn in your side. They're going to irritate you. We've heard that before in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul, right? And he also says there's going to be a constant temptation. Well, there it is. There's that temptation again. See, when you fail to drive it out, it's always going to be there. There, you know, there are certain temptations in our life. If you don't deal with it, they will linger and take you down. Verse 10. We'll continue on there. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. And they angered the Lord. As I read this here, there's a huge sad point that we miss. It's called a lost generation. A whole generation did not know God. The parents failed to tell their kids. Think about this. If the parents... Do not tell their kids about God. Guess what happens to those kids when they grow up? They become adults 
who don't know God. And they have kids who therefore will not know God. And as we read here, a whole generation grew up without God. They forgot who God was. I'm a big proponent in telling athletes and people, listen, what goes on in your thought life affects your attitude. Attitude comes out in your behavior. And here we read that they forgot who God was. When you forget who God is, he's out of your mind. He will be out of your actions as well and your behavior. They forgot God's acts of mercy and love. And it says that they did evil. They started to participate in the things around their land. Well, of course they are. Because they no longer know and remember who God is. So what do we do? Well, what's everybody else around us doing? Well, we're just going to do that. Because we don't know about this God, right? They abandoned God. They departed, that, they departed from that which is good. It's complete disobedience. They pursued false gods. Wrong pursuit. Parents, listen carefully to this, please. I'm going to read from Deuteronomy in just a second here. But parents, I want you to understand this. When we fail to teach our children about God, who then is going to teach them? When we fail to teach our children about God, we are in danger of losing a whole generation for God. It is not the responsibility of the pastor, youth pastor, the FCA leader, the Youth for Christ leader, the crew person, whoever it is out there, to raise your kids spiritually. If my son Clay fails, that's not Pastor Paul's fault. That's not his FCA leader's fault. That responsibility falls on me, the head of the household, the parent. It is our responsibility as parents to raise our kids. Look what Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 says. Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God and the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to those commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. They actually did this. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your foreheads as a reminder. Write them on the doorposts of your house on your gates. When they would leave their houses, they had on their doorposts little boxes with scripture in. When they would leave their house, they put their hands on there. They remind themselves of God's word as they went into the world. That's what they did. Do we? We usually run out the door, not even thinking sometimes, right? How are we doing in reminding our children God's commands, God's word? Well, as we read here, because they abandoned God, they lost their battles. I mean, that's what happens, right? When, when you walk away from God, don't expect God to fight your battles. Because you, you're claiming you don't need him, right? So maybe he just won't show up for that battle. It's pretty simple. If they would have just cleared the evil from their land, there would have been peace. But they failed. And so evil just penetrated that land, and their actions. Think about this. Just in the same way, when we crave power, when we get greedy, when we want money or different things in our lives, when we chase after false gods, guess what we allow to come in? Anxiety, depression, illness, other stress issues that, that come in. When you, when you fail to clear the land, other things grow up. And that's part of the results. So God did this. God's like, I'm going to send judges. 
So after he says, you failed to do this, you failed to do that, you failed to do this, there's a whole lost generation. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send judges. I'm going to send these ordinary people, an extraordinary God's going to send ordinary people into the land to help make amends, to give direction. And as I go through, and I'm going to start reading this, because last week Brian started with Gideon, one of these judges. And he did a great job. Now, Gideon's one of the well-known judges, but there's a lot of judges that weren't known. I'm going to go through this morning. I'm going to do the best I can to say their names, because their Hebrew names are, are pronounced differently. And I, so I'm going to do my best. By the way, here's a, here's a note of encouragement and word for you. Of hopefully it's understanding. If you're ever leading a Bible study, if you're ever sitting in a Bible study, and somebody says, somebody want to read a couple verses for me? What do we normally do? We're like, we skim down through. Okay, no good. No big words. I'll read. Yeah, right? If we, if we see a bunch of names in cities, we're like, mm. we just bury our heads like, I didn't hear them. They didn't, they're not going to call me, right? Here's what you do. You read it. Read it and just fake it. Just plow through those names like you just nailed it. And everybody's going to, they're going to do this. Like, wow, that was good. Thank you. I took Hebrew in college, right? No, not really. But just, so that's, I'm going to try to do that with you this morning, okay? Judges chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, we have the, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Amalekites attacking God's people, okay? So they come in, this is the first time, by the way, this is the first time nations outside of Canaan came in and attacked God's people. Now I want you to remember something. Remember Joshua when he went into Jericho? Remember Rahab the prostitute? They're like, your God is big. We fear your God. All of us talk about how awesome your God is. Everybody feared the people of Israel. They feared God. Now look what happens. Because they're no longer living for God, everybody's like laughing at them. Now people are coming from outside Canaan in to attack God's people. Just, that's just the way it works. Listen, we can be very fickle as Christians sometimes. The world knows. The world knows when you have faith and you're not living it out. And they laugh at you. They laugh at me. They're like, we know you're a Christian. Why aren't you standing for him? There must not be any power in your God. That's the translation that gets taken, right? That's what's happening here. So turn now to Judges chapter 3. We'll start reading in verse 1. Judges chapter 3, verse 1. These are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. These are the nations, the Philistines, those living under the five Philistine rulers, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hivites living in the mountains of Lebanon from Mount Belhermon to Lebohamath. These people were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the commands the Lord had given their ancestors through Moses. See, God has the power to clear the land, right? But he's like, you know what? I'm going to leave some of these people in there. You didn't clear them. I'm going to leave them in there. I have the power to take them out. But I'm going to leave them there. They're going to test you. That word test means to prove. We're going to see. We're going to prove whether or not you're going to remain faithful to me through this. And I'm going to see if you're going to improve during this situation. That's what's going to happen here. And in this moment, we sort of sit there and think through this. God doesn't necessarily do that with us right now, does he? When you give your life to Jesus Christ, God doesn't just pave the way for you, does he? See, there's a part of, there's this big word called sanctification. It's the Holy Spirit working through us, changing us to be more godly. God says, yeah, you're saved, but you still got to work. It's still going to be a chore. It's still going to be challenging. 
you're going to get tested. You're going to have to prove to me that you are following me, and I'm going to prove to you my faithfulness. God also wanted these people to be warriors. Every athlete that's ever been around here, maybe is in this room this morning, you know if you want to get stronger, you have to do what? Go to the weight room. Nobody gets stronger by sitting on the couch. If you want to be a warrior, you have to be warrior tested. And that's what God did here. Remember this. The symbol of Christianity is a cross, not a couch. Okay? Let's remember that. There is no easy path. Look at verse 5. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and they intermarried with them. Israelite sons married the daughters. Israelite daughters were given to marriage to their sons. And the Israelites served their gods. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God and they served the images of Baal and the Asherah poles. So God basically gave them what they wanted. It's like, hey, we're going to go marry these other people who do not believe in God and we're going to start following their gods instead of you, God. And God's like, if that's what you want, that's what you're going to get and what you sow is what you're going to reap. Remember that. And sure enough, they did. And they found themselves in horrible situation. And once again, we read, they cried out for help. This was an ongoing thing. So God gave them a rescuer to save them. So we would see them make bad choices, cry out for help. God sends a judge. Everything's good. Make bad choices. It's that repetition, right? So here's one of the first ones. We don't know much about him. His name is Othniel. And Othniel was the son-in-law to Caleb. We remember Caleb, one of the 12 spies, right? So he's got some background there, but we really don't know anything else about him. God's spirit came upon him and he became victorious. We know that. Then there was peace for 40 years, thanks to that judge. We read on, though, in verse 12, that once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Oh, here we go. Victory did not automatically last forever. Just because you won one game doesn't mean the next game is given to you, right? Just because you had one good day doesn't mean the next day is given to you, does it? So God gave them over to King Eglon of Moab. And they endured 18 years of this stubborn king and pain and misery. 18 years. And once again, the children of Israel cry out to God. God, help us. We're in trouble again. So God sends another judge. Look at verse 13. Or 15. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Jerah, a left-handed man in the tribe of Benjamin. We're going to learn more about lefties um, when we get eventually to David and Goliath's story. But the Benjamites was a whole tribe of left-handed people. Anybody that was born uh, left-handed was made to be right-handed because uh, Lefties, that was not a good thing, right? So they were forced to become right-handed until they discovered later, which we'll talk about in another sermon another day. But Ehud, it says he was basically chosen by God. He was a warrior and now a judge. And he was going to go to King Eglon and he was going to deliver a message from God. The message from God is, uh, Eglon, your life has come to an end. That's the message, right? So as he goes into the court and he's going to take this like uh, a little tribute to the king, he gives a tribute to the king, and, and by the way, he gets, gets patted down and goes through, like, you know, um, security, so to say. And they check him for weapons. 
If you are a right-handed person, which everybody was, you put your dagger, your sword on your left hip. So as you go through, they pat him down, nothing there. But he's a lefty. They didn't check his right hip is where he had his, right? So he gets through security with his dagger. He gets into the court or into the room with the king, gives the king the tribute. Because, oh, I got a message from God. Oh, he's got a message from God. Everybody get out. He's got a message from God for me. So he goes out. King locks the door. And then Ehud pulls out his dagger, assassinates the king. And then he has to escape now to rally up the rest of the Israelites to come and win. But there's no way out because the door's locked. So how does he escape? He escapes through the latrine, the sewer. Yes. Think about that. You're stuck in the bathroom. How do I get out of here? I'll just climb down through the toilet. That's how basically he got out. What a vivid picture that is. Okay. It's all in the Bible. So he goes out. He rallies up the troops. They come in. They conquer. Yay for Ehud. They win. That's, a, that's one of the judges. Oh, the next judge you never heard of before. His name is Shamgar. Shamgar sounds like a, a rag you wipe down a car with or something. I don't know. But if you Google it, you'll see this, this mighty warrior with an, with an ox goad. And it's like, he's only like, I can only find him in one verse really in the Bible. But an ox goad is basically this eight foot long stick, pointy end on one end. And then the sharp end on the other was basically to get the dirt off of the plow or off of your shoes or whatever. And, uh, but he used that. He, Shamgar, and two other men killed 600 Philistines, 600 versus three with just a simple farmer's tool. So we've got uh, Othniel, which we don't know much about. We've got Ehud, who is a lefty. We've got Shamgar, who's got a farmer's tool. Okay, These are our judges so far that God's picked. Ordinary people, right? Turn to chapter four, Judges chapter four. After he had passed away, the Israelites again, what? Did evil in the sight of the Lord. We saw that one coming, right? Verse 2. So the Lord turned them over to King Yavin of Hatzor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera. Everybody follow me on that? Good. All right. Sisera has this massive army, 900 chariots. A chariot was the equivalent to a modern-day tank. In other words, these people rule. Okay? There's no way you're going to defeat them. What are the Israelites going to do now? I mean, they're being oppressed once again. 20 years of oppression. They cry out to God. God says, all right, I'm going to bring another judge. This time he brings, verse 4, Deborah, a woman. Keep this in mind. Culturally, that's unheard of. A woman leader? Really? We know in the New Testament... It makes it clear that God grants the gift of prophecy to women. There are prophetess and there, and there are women uh, who did that. But of, obviously Paul said, but you got to practice it appropriately, which they did, right? Still more people considered it unexpected because not only was she a prophetess, she was a judge. She was the encourager. She was a leader. And God said, I'm going to use this great woman for me. So we read in chapter 4, God told Deborah, to inform Baruch that they're going to take troops to go fight. But Barak, I'm sorry, Barak did not want to fight without Deborah. He's like, I'll go fight, but Deborah, can you come along with me? <laughs> Where have you read that in the scripture, right? And so Deborah's like, okay, I, I will go with you. But understand this, Barak, you will not be the one to kill Sisera. The great commander is going to be a woman that is going to get that victory title, which again was unheard of, right? So they go into battle. 
They go into the plains to fight, which is unheard of because that's a perfect place for chariots to excel. But did we forget who's fighting for them? God is. Chaos, panic. Israelites win. They chase down uh, Sisera and they into a tent. Nobody can find her, but the woman who owns the tent was like, yeah, come hide in here. And he hides in there and he's worn out and he's tired. And he's sleepy. He lays down. Women, by the way, were the ones that sit up and tore down the tents. So she knows how to drive a peg of a tent. So she drove a peg of a tent through the head of Sisera. Took care of him. Yep, the Bible. What a wonderful thing to read through, isn't it? Barak's trusted God in this situation. God granted them a great victory. But Deborah played the big role in this. She was the encourager. She was the one that built the enthusiasm and the faith up in Barak and his men. Exactly what we needed to see there, right? And we read on and we see how the nation continued to obey God, then disobey God, cry out for help, bring in another judge over and over and over. The cycle continues. Chapters, by the way, are you seeing how what I start off saying this is messy and complicated? Does that make sense now why I said that? Look at chapters 10 of Judges, starting in verse 15 and 16. It says, But the Israelites pleaded with the Lord and said, We have sinned. You know, you sort of get to a time, it's like, when are you guys actually really going to confess and mean it? And again, before we judge these people for their actions, how many times have you asked Christ into your life? I mean, seriously, when you're a little kid, and you're like, you go to church, you're like, I prayed that prayer again. And then you go to camp, I prayed that prayer. And then you go to a youth conference, I prayed that prayer again. It's like, I've asked Jesus into my life like 50 times. Every time I feel like he leaves, I ask that, I pray that prayer again, right? It's like, it's like I don't know, did, he's still there, right? And that happens, right? So these people here, it's like, they confess, they confess, they confess. It sort of keeps going over. It's like this cycle. They said, we have sinned, verse 1, punish us as you see fit. How about that? God, I'm a sinner. Go ahead and punish me. Just do me one thing. Just rescue us from our enemies. I don't don't care what happens to me. Give me boils. Let my left arm fall off. I don't care. Just save us from our enemies. Verse 16. Then the Israelites put aside their foreign gods, and they served the Lord. And he was grieved by their misery. I want to read that because that last part, God was grieved by their misery. Sometimes we sit there and think, God has to be like that parent. It's like, I'm tired of my kids messing up. You live in your own mess, right? But as a parent, even when I see my kids fail, and I've got to let them learn, it still grieves my heart. I still want to help them. And that's what God is doing here. Even when we sin, even when we mess up over and over and over and again, and we keep going to Him, God still grieves for us. He wants us to walk in obedience with him. Israel came to a place of total surrender. God looked upon disobedient Israel with compassion, not hatred. Because sometimes we think God hates us, right? God's just punishing people. God has compassion. That's his nature. Turn to chapter 11. Chapter 11, now we get to the point Another judge, Yiptah of Gilad. He was a great warrior, the son of Gilad, but his mother was a prostitute. 
Now, this is getting super messy and complicated, isn't it? I mean, we've got all kinds of things in the Bible coming out this morning. Verse 2, Gilad's wife also had several sons. And when these half-brothers grew up, they chased Yipta off the land. You're not going to get any of your father's inheritance, they said, for you're the son of a prostitute. So Yipta fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. Sort of like David when he ran out of the caves to hide from Saul. He had a band of men that followed him. Yiptah did the same thing. He's got these people following him. He's got this little band. Meanwhile, back in town, the enemy comes in and marches in on them. And they're like, huh, we need somebody to save us. Rescue us, Lord. So they go to Yiptah, the son of a prostitute. And they ask him, will you help? He's like, I will. You've got to accept us back. But here's the thing. I'm going to go talk. I'm going to go talk to them instead of starting a war like everybody else has in the past. So he goes out hoping to negotiate, but negotiations fell. And guess what? They go to war. And they win. Church, as I've read through very quickly these chapters and have named off all these various judges, Othniel, we don't know much about. We've got a lefty. We've got Shamgar with the ox goad, right? We've got Deborah, a woman. We've got Yiptah, son of a prostitute. We've got all these people. There's like these ordinary people with rough backgrounds. Church, look around. <laughs> In this room, on this stage, ordinary people. That God says, I can use you. I can use your gifts. I can use your skills. I can use your tools. A week ago on a Saturday morning, eight track teams gathered at Patrick Henry. And it was announced at 8.30 in the morning, as all these track teams are gathering, if you would like to come and pray with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, come to the center of the football field. Over 200 athletes and coaches gathered that morning from those eight track teams, and two high school kids led prayer. That's how you use your gift for God, right there. That young lady and that young man picked up their ox goat and stood out on the field for the Lord and prayed. That's how we use our gifts. We think, well, I don't have any special gifts. I don't have any special talents. Yes, you do. God's gifted you. Well, I'm not extraordinary. You don't have to be extraordinary. Just be ordinary and let an extraordinary God work through you. Because that's what's happening through all these stories in the book of Judges. And as I look at it, I said, boy, it's complicated. It's messy. Assassinations. War. Prostitution. It's obvious. It's like, you know, I look at especially all the fighting. It's obvious that God doesn't want us to work this way anymore. He's not calling us as Christians to go out and assassinate people. No. And that's probably why a lot of preachers sort of stay away from Old Testament stories. It's like, how do we talk about this one and justify it? Well, back in that day, that's what God had him do. He doesn't have us do that anymore. Instead, he has us stand up to a spiritual battle that's going on which is just as ugly and just as hard. Now we fight that which we cannot see, which is why Paul told us to put on the armor of God, right? I believe we're living in a time right now and in a world in which our spiritual opponent is doing all he can to disrupt, to divide, and to defeat us and decrease us in our godliness so that we're not making a big impact. I believe parents, you know, you get challenged every day with how you're going to raise your kids. It's a spiritual battle. Church, don't be fooled. Don't be misled. 
and don't give up. God has not left you. God has not abandoned you. In every one of those stories, they felt abandoned and they went to God and said, rescue us. Church, you've not been abandoned. I've not been abandoned. There's a beautiful scripture in the book of Isaiah. 49, verses 14 to 16, it says this. Yet Jerusalem, listen, Jerusalem, it's the people of God said, the Lord's deserted us, the Lord has forgotten us. God replies, never. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? And even if that were possible, I will not forget you, says God. See, I've written your name on the palms of my hands always in my mind a picture of Jerusalem and its ruins. God says, the, the hands that took the scars, the nails, your names are on my hands. Every time I see my hands, I see you. In my mind are the pictures of the ruins of Jerusalem. Yeah, Jerusalem might be in trouble. It may have fallen apart, but I've not forgotten you. Church, God's not forgotten you. He has not forgotten you. Worship team, would you come forward, please? This is a messy and complicated world that we live in. Do not forget about God. He has not forgotten about you. Do not abandon godliness because God has not abandoned you. He picks you. He chooses you. What is your gift? What is your everyday tool? Use it for him. Stand for him. Church, would you please stand as I pray? Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. And God, as we sift through the scripture and it gets messy and it gets complicated and we just can't fully understand what was going on, but God, from what I understand, you told us how to live. We failed. We cried for you to bail us out. And you do. It would be so much easier if we just would listen and obey. God, but for some reason, we have failed to drive out things in our lives. God, right now as we stand here, some of us have some things going on in our life that we've not driven out. We have some sins that we've held on to. God, speak to us right now. What are those things that we need to drive out? What are those sins that we've, we've sort of let linger in our lives that you've commanded to us, drive it out. And God, there's some in here in this room this morning that we know that you've asked us to, like those ordinary judges, you've asked us to step up. You've brought before us something that we are supposed to do, but yet we've not fallen through with it yet. Lord, help us to follow through. Your spirit has probably prompted us to maybe call that person. Your spirit has probably prompted us to go out and do what we're supposed to do. But for some reason, we've hidden. We've not used that gift because we forgot about you and that you go with us, that you will not abandon us. You're a God of mercy and grace. You're also a just God. So Heavenly Father, I pray as as we are seeking you right now in this time of prayer, speak to us. What is it that we're supposed to drive out? What is it that we're supposed to step up and do?
maybe we just need to be reminded this morning that you're an awesome God and you've not abandoned us. Thank you for calling us by name, for having our names on your hands, for having us in your thoughts, for loving us, for saving us. We thank you, Lord. In thy name we pray, amen.